Welcome, welcome. You're listening to our podcast, Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. My name is Mark. I'm a registered massage therapist, registered kinesiologist here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Our second episode of being on lockdown. I don't know if you can smell the Lysol in the air, but yeah. everything here is <laughs> nice and clean. And it is nice that we don't really have a public space. It's not a clinic. So yeah, and chill a little bit because the state of the world right now is, um, I don't like the energy. It's very intense. It's very anxious. Like I said to you off mic, I yeah. feel like the world is having a cumula- cumulative and coordinated panic attack and it's freaking me out. Very much so. That's exactly why I'm here. I needed to put my phone down and take my mm. head out of it a little bit and mm. just kind of, yeah, get back to real life. All right. Yeah. Well, I will introduce everyone. We've got Susie here today, who is a registered massage therapist, which was not her first career. I'll let her get into that. But she reached out to me because Susie has an interesting practice. She is mobile and she works with clients that typically other RMTs hope don't come through their door. And I'm not saying that to be, what does that mean? (laughs) Well, Susie works with, I I mean, on the, on the less shocking end of the spectrum, a lot of MVAs, and I know a lot of therapists don't love that, but she also works with homeless populations. She works with people with um, sort of out of the box jobs, such as prostitutes and, uh, Yeah, basically the people that other therapists might be like, oh, do I really want to get involved in that? And Susie does. And right on. And so we're, that's what we're going to talk about today is what her practice is like working with these uh, special kind of populations. So thank you for coming all the way from KW. KW, yeah, Yeah. Kitchener. Yeah. Although I really practice kind of all over kind of Southern Ontario. A lot of um, my clients live in Hamilton. Oh, wow. Um, I do a couple, one in Brampton, a couple Mississauga. I try to, if you're going to send me a referral in that area, you better give me like a couple to make the Mm -hmm. drive worth it. Mm. Yeah. Wow. That's a far reach on the mobile. A little bit. I mean, I've only been doing this for a year and a half now. When I finished school, I kind of set myself up into a lot of different practices. So I worked at a clinic downtown. Um, I always wanted to be kind of private and mobile going into people's homes. My massage therapist, when I was in my previous job, she came to my house and I thought that was like the greatest thing in the world was to wake up on a Saturday Mm. morning and get a massage massage in my sunroom and yeah, and kind of get on with my day. So that was a little bit of the inspiration. Um, And then I also have a friend who owns a company where she does motor vehicle accidents. She does in-home physio and massage therapy. Um, She gets a lot of those personal injury type clients. So that's kind of where my clientele is a little bit all over the map in terms of who I'm treating. So as much as I'm treating some people that are homeless, I'm also treating some people that are fairly well off and have Mm -hmm. these beautiful homes and lots of services in place as they kind of rehab through their, yeah, through their injuries. Let's start at the beginning. Sure. So as I mentioned in the intro, massage therapy was not your first career. No. So what was your previous career before massage? Yeah. So I used to kind of have this like punchline of a joke when I'd introduce myself because I went to school uh, to be a teacher. So I have, you know, a bachelor of special ed and a bachelor in social behavioral sciences. Um, and I wanted to teach. I was fortunate enough to have a scholarship and I went to school in New Jersey of all the states to go to. 
Um, I mean, the New York City kind of was kind of why I went all the way down that mm-hmm. way. It was kind of exciting for an 18 year old. Um, also didn't have to do OAC if I went to school in the US. Oh, yeah, <laughs> uh, and in my mind, I didn't have to go to teacher's college because I was going to come back with a B. Ed, but I came back and I couldn't teach in Ontario um, and ended up in social work. So kind of this joke was I used to want to be a comedian, went to school for teaching and ended up in social work, kind of like egg on my face. <laughs> um, and now it's kind of like, well, now I have to add in this like massage therapy career that I've now kind of picked up on afterwards. Tell me about don't the comedian where... thing. Um, I think I was just... Uh, like maybe like a young girl who's fairly insecure and always use humor as a means to kind of like integrate with people yeah. and to keep people smiling. And um, so, yeah, it was always a little bit of the class. Did clown. you ever, did you ever perform? Like, did you ever do stand-up? No, oh, never. Okay. I think it was just kind of growing gotcha, up. Gotcha, people gotcha. would have thought I probably could have been a comedian. Mm. Well, you're super bubbly and you have the voice for it. Really? Like you've, you've got an interesting oh. voice and I feel like this is going to come across and make me sound horrible, but I'm going to say it anyway. Everybody out there, don't judge me right now. I'm judging. But when, yeah, it's a time oh, of judgment judge right me. now. Oh, you're going to judge me. It's okay. <laughs> uh, when I was young, probably in my early 20s, um, I had a group of friends and we kind of did everything together. You know, we'd always go to the cottage every weekend. Like we did everything together. Right. And I remember one time being up at the cottage and I was similar to you where I I kind of always used humor, like everything out of my mouth was some kind of sarcastic or witty something like I... I was sort of always on when I was out with my mm. friends and maybe it was an insecurity thing looking back that yeah, I was no. just always on yeah. and somebody uh, said to me, we were sitting around a fire and somebody said to me like, man, you should perform like you should be a com- a stand up comic and I was like, no, that's not going to work. I'm like a comedian has to have a thing like there's going to be something about you. You either have to be like sort of weird looking or have like an interesting right? voice or like, <laughs> you know, there's got to be something and I was like, what am I going to make fun of my pretty face or my nice ass like this right. isn't going to work. Anyway, that had everybody rolling on the floor at the time but um yeah you have a, an interesting voice not like a weird voice it's but it's you, no it's so you have an interesting voice that. so going down to new jersey i kind of come down there with an obvious not jersey accent <laughs> so when i was down there a lot of people were like wow you're canadian you don't sound canadian and i was like you don't well, say a boot what like but what does canadian sound like but they were like but you don't speak canadian and i was like well what <laughs> like what do canadians speak and they're like aren't you canadian. french and in my mind i was like why would you assume that canadians are french but then i'm thinking like well all those jersey east coasters go up to montreal because you can drink at 18 right. so in their mind like that is Canada. They're all French. Yeah. Sorry to all the American listeners. You're not all (laughs) sheltered. But I mean, it was just, and my friends will always say, you have a a lull lull in your voice. There's something lully about your voice. I can't explain it, but there's something about your voice that I could honestly picture you being on stage because that would be your thing. You've got a thing. I didn't have a thing. Well, I I think I'm going to need a new thing over the next couple months. So maybe this is going to be my thing. That is a thing though. Like uh, I was watching, was it? I think I was watching Trevor Noah or I was listening to Trevor Noah on Howard Stern and Trevor Noah was talking about how, was it Chris Rock? I think Chris, no, Dave Chappelle, how Dave Chappelle wanted Trevor Noah to come on tour with him. And Trevor Noah was like, I'm like, I'm not all that funny. At least I don't think I'm all that funny. And, and um, Chappelle was like, there's a billion funny people. You are interesting. People want to see interesting. Anyone it's can true. be fucking funny, but yeah. you are you interesting. Be interesting. Yeah. And therefore you can, you can command a room quite easily. Yeah. 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 So I was surprised, by the way, while we're on Trevor Noah, 
Um, I don't know him very well. It's not like I watch I watch him on TV or anything. But I was surprised at um, he's a combination of humble and conceited. If that makes any sense, like I was just so confused by him. He is an interesting person. What, what do you like? I felt like on one hand he's saying something like I'm not funny, and on the other hand he's telling everybody why they're wrong and he yeah. knows better. Yeah, like he's a very interesting person. Mm, yeah. Okay, yeah, I, yeah. See I see that. that. I yeah. totally get that. Yeah, kind of like a dry sense of humor. Like you don't know if you're supposed to laugh or yeah, he was just interesting yeah. to listen to. And Howard, I think even Howard Stern was like, I don't know how to talk to this guy. He's yeah. an interesting guy. Period. Like yeah. just just his life is interesting. If yes, you ever his get a history chance. is yeah. for sure. Interesting. It's super interesting. Yeah. yeah. I don't know, man. Trevor yeah. Noah. Well, anyway, Susie's going to be a comedian soon. Oh, uh, yeah. For the next three weeks. I don't know how I'm going to make money off of this, but <laughs> I'm going to think Find of a way. Find a way. You're an entrepreneur. You'll be creative. It's You'll true. figure it out. It's true. Yeah. So kind of back to my journey. So um, ended up kind of coming back to Ontario after finishing school. Um, and just like had a hard time finding my way. I mean, I couldn't teach because they wanted me to go back to get my, you know, my Ontario teacher certificate. And mm-hmm. in my mind, I was like, well, I just did four years of a B ed. Like, what more, yeah. you know, what more can you do? Um, and just kind of ended up in child and youth work. So within schools, working with behavioral or people with learning disabilities or adolescents mm. in particular, uh, working in our group home systems or section 20 schools, which are really like those isolating schools where kind of the bad kids go. I hate Uh to say that. Um, And then from there, just kind of ended up in social work. So I worked with our local children's aid for over 10 years, Um, worked with very similar populations that I'm working with now that I was trying to not work with because I really hit a burnout period in social work. Um, I worked, yeah, like we were just saying kind of before, like lots of crisis management, lots of people going through crisis. And um, after a while, it really takes a toll on you. So um, I went to the Bahamas and I got a massage and I thought, I want to move to the Bahamas and massage people. And <laughs> it's reasonable. Yeah. As as I, that. <laughs> yeah. I, I took a sabbatical, did a lot of traveling um, and had already been kind of thinking about school going to massage school, even when I was a social work, just kind of as a backup plan. I was going through some pretty heavy counseling at the time. I had a a pretty big incident that happened at work. I was having a lot of PTSD symptoms. Mm. And you were getting massage therapy while you were regularly, like my whole life, like massage and physical therapy has always been a really big part of, at least for me, my mental health rehab, Um, even though again, like not our scope of practice, but I really got a lot of relief from it. It was really a time where I can get out of my head and Mm -hmm. I really felt a lot of benefits from from massage. Mm-hmm. So, so then can I ask you a question? Yeah, of course. About you know working in the schools with like behavioral kids. Mm-hmm. Is there? Have you ever come across a kid that's got like super behavioral issues, but is like fucking genius? Uh, l- is lots, it a lot of it? A lot. Yeah. And um, I, I'll tell you why I yeah, asked this because th- there's 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 someone that I know whose son is in one of these schools, mm-hmm. but he's like a fucking genius. Yeah. Like, I mean, this kid has been to like NASA camp, and like he's just like this crazy genius, mm-hmm. but he's got all these other things going on with him. Yeah, yeah he's like a Goodwill Hunting kind of scenario. Yeah, I think when we look at you guys, always talk about that biopsychosocial about how important sometimes those early childhood like you know real solid attachments and how some of those things can kind of trigger and I mean you see families where three or four kids have all experienced the same thing and one's doing really well and one's not doing Mm -hmm. really well and one probably isn't being seen because the other two are kind of taking the attention so I mean there's a big yeah there's a big piece of where kind of kids get lost unfortunately because of behaviors even though 
behaviors don't say how smart you are right, right, right. or how social you are mm-hmm. or how healthy you are. So um, I, I kind of praise people who have the opportunity to put their kids into these kind of like, whatever goes, goes, and whatever kids want to learn, we're going to help kind of mm. guide them in those paths. And unfortunately, not all people get those opportunities. But right. I always think of, yeah, those kids that are like highly behavioral and don't feel well in a a typical school setting and really don't have the same opportunities to really excel academically Mm -hmm. because they're not in the right space for that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I like that you asked that question. I really love talking about Mm -hmm. mental health (laughs) and kind of the things that I did before. Um, But kind of going back, I, I was really burning out. I was... Yeah, I had a couple of caseloads that were really significantly impactful on my life and I couldn't go back. It was just way too much. And How much of that stuff do you take home with you? Like all of it. All of it? So like 100% the end, goes home with you? Yeah, I have to tell you, um, at the end, not always. I think when you're young, even RMTs, right? You're fresh out of school. I mean, I'm kind of coming in as an old lady. Um, but, you know, <laughs> these young kids kind of coming out and like, you're trying so hard to prove yourself in the profession that you spent all this time like studying for. So I think as a young social worker, I was really trying to prove myself because I didn't have a social work degree. And, you know, I'm trying to like live up to these people that are been taking so many professional development courses. So I really engulfed myself in what I did. And in all fairness, I can talk about my annual reviews. I always talked about having poor boundaries because I genuinely love, 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 love the families that I worked with. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I look at some of these kids and we talk a lot about how, you know, a really healthy, successful kid will have 13 unpaid supports in their lives. So mothers, aunts, uncles, but these kids that are living care don't have those. So mm-hmm. they can't really rely on a social worker and a doctor and their child and youth worker at school. Like we're paid, right? Yep. So who's telling these kids that they love them? And who's telling these kids that, you know, there's people that will care for you unconditionally when really, you know, life has showed them that there really aren't those people mm. out there for them. To be a social worker, you obviously have to be empathetic. But when you're empathetic, how can you not take your work home with you? It's yeah. like a vicious cycle. Yeah. I don't know how people do it. I mean, we obviously need people to yeah. do that type of work. But I know even it's nowhere near uh, doing social work, but I worked for three years with um, like higher functioning uh, young adults with Mm -hmm. autism and just teaching life skills. And I worked for a couple of years with people with physical disabilities, primarily cerebral palsy. Mm -hmm. And I would get so attached to my clients. How do you not? How do you not not get attached to them? (laughs) And that's the thing is I would get so invested and I knew their families and I knew what they were doing. And so I remember one year, uh, one of my participants didn't return back to the program and then found out later that she had passed away in that year. And literally that was like, I was like, that's it. This is like the last year I can do this. Like I can't, because I can't take this all home. I know. How do you not take it home? So at the end, I was unfortunately, oh, I say unfortunately, but if feel fortunately because I was really invested but I worked with young girls who were involved in like the sex trade like mm-hmm. how do you not take that home you guys have daughters and I hate to say it, but how do you not take that home I don't have kids probably because I was in social work for so mm-hmm. long mm-hmm. during that time um, I needed that like yeah. I needed that tequila at the end of the day right now I'm starting to understand the tequila right. yeah okay <laughs> Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so that was really kind of where I was in my burnout period. Mm -hmm. I mean, how do you work a nine to five when your girls are working like a completely different nine to five? And Mm -hmm. um, how do you fight with police officers that are, you know, like, in their minds dealing with bigger fish to fry? And you're thinking like, these are our these are the children, like, this is our community. 
these are yeah. our kids. It was it was really rough. So um, I stopped. I did a whole hell of a lot of traveling. Um, and yeah, I kind of came back to, I'm going to go back to school. And I thought massage therapy school was going to be a sabbatical. And I hated every second of school. Oh, yeah. What did you hate oh, about Oh, my it? God. Where do I begin? Okay, how did you... <laughs> How did you choose the school you went to? Um, so I live in KW. Uh, uh, CCMH so is much, right there. Choice, it yeah. wasn't a big choice for me. Um, I knew a lot of people who had gone to that school. Uh, people give you fair warning, like school is tough. It's going to be really challenging. And in my mind, and I'm, CCMH is a good school with a good reputation sure too. Is, so you yeah. know that they're going yeah. to challenge you. Yeah. In the same right, they are a private career college. Yeah, yeah. So the people that are they're admitting are we had a very colorful mm-hmm. class that made every day a fucking challenge for me <laughs> like a real big challenge and uh, it was hard so uh, like in my careers I also was a director of a private career college so I kind of understood how they operated um, but with that my expectations then were like really high with what administration could and would do mm-hmm. and was obviously challenged back every step of the way and just learned to kind of bite my tongue and just pass. Was there any point <laughs> while you're in school, while you're at CCMH, you're like, yeah. fuck it, I'm out? Um, I wish that upon multiple classmates that they would come <laughs> to that conclusion. Not myself, just everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I knew what I wanted. You know, like I was there. I knew what I needed. Uh, let's be real. School it was really challenging. I mean, I thought I was going to like get 99% because I'm so smart and I'm academic. And I, as soon as I got my 84.5 and couldn't hit honor roll and like gross anatomy, I was like, fuck it. I'm okay with a 70 across the board. <laughs> Like, I just, and when I looked at how sick I was making myself over exams and how sick my classmates were making themselves over exams and OPs, like, I just was like, it's not worth it. Mm. We're all going to pass at some point. Like, let's be real. We go to like a private career college. They will pass us all. And the worst ones will for sure get (laughs) I don't mean that. But you know what I'm saying? Like, they're going to work with you. Yeah, Yeah. I know. Um, Anyways, I just... It was, <laughs> I don't know how to say it was a struggle. Um, yeah. So for me, it was really, I mean, I came in there saying like, hey, guys, I'm a burnt out social worker. Keep your shit away from me. And people kind of respected that. Mm. Um, I kind of buddied up with like the like ice queen in the class. So the two of us really <laughs> like balanced. We were like kind of yin and yin. And we balanced each other out. We kind of separated ourselves from a lot of drama because let's be real, you're spending like eight hours a day for two years with the same people. Oh, yeah. High levels of stress. Yeah, we just learned to cope and y'all kind of learned to get along and y'all learn oh, we didn't learn to get along. Let's just say that. <laughs> 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 so majority of what you did yes, about sorry. school was the other people that you were studying with. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, a lot of the teachers were awesome. I know Fatima's been on here. She's my girl. Yeah. I love her. Um, it was just, like I said, like everyone's stress levels are so high, kind of like how it is now. Everyone's just spewing out what they're feeling and thinking. Yeah. And um, people- It happens in a program like that, yeah. you know, yep. and it swells at the six month yeah. mark and then it swells again at the nine month mark yeah. and then it swells again at like the 16 month and mark. And I did it, accre- like I did it fast tracked. So yeah. I mean, I didn't have a break. Like I have a friend so you that's did 16 the, months, 16 like, straight, months yeah. straight. So I didn't get the break. I really envied the people that took that summer off and wish that I could have done that. I don't think you would have 
but I, th- I think you would have. I think it would have messed you up even well, more. Well, and that's what that's my reasoning as to not yeah. because I'm a like I'm a workhorse. Like I yeah. want to be busy. I like need to fill well, my and you were days. Nineteen going to yeah, school. Yeah, and I knew that if I had four months off, I was gonna get a job. I already educated so i can exactly. get a good job i'm gonna start making money and be like fuck it like yep, sure. i'm happy with where i am it would so. have been such a drag to go back and then yeah. to try to get back into the swing of things yeah. and then everyone that you fucking hated you would have hated them even more you know yeah, thanks mark that's exactly what would have happened yeah <laughs> that's exactly what would have good happened. choice make good choices yeah and then too i think that that term that kind of comes back you come back with like another class and you're amalgamated at least at ccmh so it's yeah. like if I didn't like the 25 people I'm with, like, fuck if I just sit in a class <laughs> with 60 of them, God. <laughs> so By the way, I really love CCMH. I hope, like, people listening aren't, like... Any of uh, yeah. Susie's past classmates forward the hate mail over there? Oh, no, I'm fuck. kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> it's all right. They've already said what they wanted to. <laughs> you know who you are. All right. So all right, you, hate, yeah. you hated school. So, so we, hated we, school. we can blow past that. Yeah. So I hated school. Um, but I finished. Um, I like was like so gung ho. I like worked all through school. So I had some money. I got an apartment. I was like getting ready to do my exams. Um, probably like the most anxious I've ever been in my entire life was mm. like OSCE MCQs and then that weight. I think I was talking to someone in there like, remember that weight? I was like, yeah, that was three months. I was off. And they're like, what are you talking about? You got your results before anyone else. You waited two and a half weeks. I was like, oh, fuck. It felt like three <laughs> months. Like- <laughs> so yeah. So yeah. So I'm I'm glad I passed both right off the cuff. I know a lot of my classmates kind of struggled this mm-hmm. past year. Um, I think most are certified as far as as far as I know. But um, yeah, so finished school, got my licensing done. It was like mid-December. The CMTO was like, don't register, wait till January. You're going to spend this money just for a couple weeks. And I was like, no, you can register me right now because it's mid-December and I'm going to make a lot of money in the next yeah, two for weeks. Sure. So yep. You'll make enough for the registration yeah, in those two weeks. that's pretty much what happened. So, um, You'll make that in two days in yeah. December. Yep. Yeah, so a clinic supervisor, um, or sorry, an outreach supervisor in one of the TAs at my school had just opened their whole new practice. Mm. Um, I wasn't going to apply for jobs until... I was registered and they, yeah, I just saw them and they were like my, some of my two favorite people in school and thought it was like a good mix. They just had a really great vibe. They were all about kind of promoting women's health. So I just kind of talked to them. Um, and I just had to wait for my exam results. And that was probably really, um, hard for me too, because I just, I felt sick about that idea of calling them and being like, so I didn't pass, which is hap, which had happened to them with another RMT. They hired on, they didn't pass. And then they were in limbo. So I think it was probably hard for both of us to kind of sit during that time and wait for it to happen. But it did. Um, And then, yeah, so I started working at a clinic downtown. Um, I worked mobily on my own just through kind of referrals that I'd had previous to kind of finishing school. Um, And then, yeah, worked with this company that does those crazy MVAs. Yeah. Maybe we should talk about the crazy MVAs first. Yeah, for sure. Let's start there. Sure. Tell me about the company. Yeah. So um, pretty much um, I know the person that owns this company. She had worked previously for a big mobile rehabilitation place in Toronto. Mm -hmm. Just I I don't want to put words in her mouth. I was probably looking at partnering, but and they probably strung her along for a really long time and it didn't happen. So she's like, fucking, I'm going to open my own business and did and has been killing it um, because she's kind of outed GTA. That's kind of where most of her connections and referrals came from. Um, But yeah, I mean, she wanted to hire me kind of early in the fall. 
um, because she had someone going on mat leave, but that person ended up going off early. So she had to hire another RMT. So I think she was kind of a little embarrassed to be like, hey, Susie, I don't actually have work for you right now, Uh, which was fine because it only took about a month before she started shooting me referrals and it was awesome. Um, So I think when I came into massage therapy, I thought this like, this is amazing. I can relax for an hour at a time and treat because I really find treating just as relaxing for me as I imagine it is is for the other person. Um, So in my mind, that's what I was going to do. I was going to do these relaxation massages and have this amazing life. And then I got my first kind of like questionable, not questionable, but client where I'm like, fuck like you're so lucky I'm in this situation because I know how to handle it and I've worked with people of every you know like off the spectrum of people um so yeah so I I came out kind of Brampton way um and I knew that the client was um had both legs amputated Mm -hmm. um I knew that there was a dramatic brain injury involved as well so that makes sometimes things a little bit tricky for in terms of consent and you know how they're feeling and kind of doing check-ins I just want to confirm yeah. before you continue. Yeah. Was this through the mobile MVA company? Yes. So this was an MVA client. Yes. And okay, carry so on. So this one is a little bit different. I don't want to give too much about all of my clients, but this one is actually through WSIB. It's my only WSIB okay. client, but essentially through the same company that would Got get, it. you know, like a referral from an OT or a lawyer or a, a team of people kind of working on a, on a file. So um, my first experience was kind of, you know, knocking on the door and, no one's answering. And then finally, you know, like this woman answers the door and I come in and there's this man and he's just like, get the fuck out of my house. And he's screaming at me and charging. And in my mind, I'm like, oh, I'm really great in crisis. I'm just going to kind of stand here and just kind of like make eye contact with people, see how people are like, you know, looking for me to react. And, you know, he's got this PSW there and she's like, don't worry about it. Just come in. I was like, okay, cool. So, you know, I'm walking in as this man is like flailing his arms, like get the fuck out of here. And I'm thinking like, ooh, consent is going to be really difficult for me to kind of write in my case note when I'm saying he's asking me to leave and then I continue to treat, right? Like, and then I start treating. So um, I think it just kind of took his, like his, you know, his PSW and his wife a little bit of time to remind him about massage. So he was getting massage previously. This massage therapist went on uh, a sick leave. Um, so she was, it was like a little bit of time between someone new kind of came in. Um, so that was kind of my first experience where I was like, wow, you're so lucky I'm on your team. Seriously though, I could the universe see. have made that any more perfect you put Susie the social worker <laughs> who has probably worked with all kinds of people right. as you said and your very first mobile client is somebody who tells you to get the fuck out of yeah. there like I mean but not just that like traumatic brain injury like I don't know what his you know like how great his vocabulary is like yeah. how you know how he communicates with people because yeah. I know some traumatic brain injuries where get the fuck out of my house might be the only right like the only thing that they're they're saying so for me it was just like oh I need to kind of feel this out I don't know if like he's directing this at me or this is just his speech pattern like yeah, with this yeah, brain yeah. injury like, so, I feel like if it were me I would have put that table back over my shoulder right like, okay sure <laughs> sure sir I'm out of here bye sorry stop yelling did you work with traumatic brain injuries uh, when you're at school 
like at CCMH? CCMH, Because we yes. did, like I did when I was yeah, at CCMH. Yeah, so acqui- the acquired brain injury right. uh, group at, and I'll be honest, when I picked my outreaches, it had nothing to do with what I was interested in. It was what fit my schedule. Mm-hmm. So those are the ones that I went to. So it was often the palliative care because those are four or five hour outreaches. So I got mm-hmm. to get a lot of bang for my buck with those. But I, I did love um, the palliative care. Um, and then acquired brain injury. I mean, it was literally like five houses away from my house. So We had to do that when I was at CCMH. They they had a whole section that you had to go down to Toronto Rehab Hospital, I think for four or five weeks, like once a week. Like it was mandatory. You had to do it. We didn't have it as mandatory. Like I said, we... Um, we had outreaches that you had to sign up for, my, but this was one of them that you had to do. My clinic portion at school, partway through, we got a new clinic supervisor. Mm-hmm. Um, the one She was on the podcast and I said, you're the one I was talking about as the great... When she came in, she really focused on setting up outreaches to give us different experiences. So she set up something with, so we could um, get experience working with uh, clients with acquired brain injury. She set up some palliative outreaches. She set up um, something with the MS Society. Like she did all of that, but it wasn't because the school was saying you have to do this. That was just a really good class. Ours was you had to. had to do like x number of hospital yeah x number of community based um i don't i think sports was like a special certificate if you Mm. got like x number of sports i remember i was seeing a patient down in toronto rehab hospital and i felt so horrible like she had everything going for her she was she was doing her master's in religious studies she uh she had a scholarship to play basketball she had a stroke and then i was treating her treating her treating her and then one week I went to treat her and she wasn't there. And I was like, where is she? She's like, she's not here anymore. Mm. And I'm like, she's not here anymore? They're like, no, she passed. I was like, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. I, Sorry, yeah. I, I threw No, it's okay. Now. It's happening right now. <laughs> it's happening. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's funny. It's. I sometimes think life gives you people that, you know, you can kind of handle and, mm-hmm. you know, for a reason. Oh, so for sure. sometimes uh, as much as I just wanted to do the relaxation, a part of me is so grateful that I'm working with these really high, you know, like high risk, high needs clients because I'm so good at it. It's what I did. It's uh, per- Well, exactly. It's yeah. perfect for you. Yeah. And there would be a lot of therapists, even ones that I know, and I'm not saying they're not great therapists, but it's way outside of their comfort yeah. zone, way outside of something that they could ever fathom doing. Yeah. You know, like I always tell RMTs like do what do what feels right for you Absolutely. no one's asking and I hate the Facebook groups that really get really judgy super judgy oh super god mean. especially right now I feel oh, so right sick now is horrible. people are calling the CMTO on each other are you kidding me this is ridiculous so I just you know I always tell people like if you're not comfortable with it respect your boundaries and Absolutely. other people should respect your boundaries yeah. too if people don't respect your boundaries they probably don't respect you mm-hmm. so um yeah i i often think about that when i work with you know the people that i do well and you yeah. know i know mark said it. these people need care too oh, for sure yes. and so if there's nobody willing to do it like that's not okay either no. i mean people are people are people and yeah. like we used to say all the time and i think i'm going to bring it back like no matter who the person is if you take a step back for a minute and stop your judging stop whatever you're thinking in that moment and just remember this is a person mm-hmm. like this is a human being and just don't be a dick yeah 
I like that. Don't be a dick. Don't we should dick. all just be wearing t-shirts right now that says don't, don't be, a, be dick. a dick. Yeah, that's yeah. it. It's a person. It is. I saw a Facebook post today. You were talking about, you know, people getting mean in, yeah. the, in the groups. I saw a post today by a chiropractor, a friend of mine. We're all being hit hard by this, right? Huge. All of our bank accounts are, are yeah. suffering and we're all in the same boat, right? Yeah. And her post was saying, you know, can we all just stop attacking each other? Like if some people are choosing to use humor to deal with this, don't jump yeah. all over them. If some people are struggling with the idea of having to close their clinic, can you understand like yeah. the fear that's in them too? Don't immediately start attacking them saying they're a bad human. You have like you have no idea what people are so dealing much with. Happening. I had a friend I was just texting on my way over here, not to get back to this whole state of emergency, but um I'm finding in the Facebook groups, if you haven't closed, people are being oh, super judgy horrible. of you. Yes. Yeah. And my friend just messaged me today saying, so she's at a spa and she's being laid off. So she really doesn't have a choice in the matter. Mm -hmm. um, and someone had the audacity to message her and be like, you're abandoning your clients. That is, And I'm thinking like, oh, she's obviously not a part of this Facebook group because you would get eaten alive for saying something like abandoning your you can't, clients. You can't win either it's way. Exactly. On and that's the piece I just wish that, and, and I've been trying not to make any type of social media posts and I'm not very heavy on social media anyways, coming from my background. So I try to be really mindful of what I put out into the world. And I think today I was just saying like, whether people choose to continue to work in the community or to self-isolate, let's just respect each other's choices right now because they're making yep. the best choices for them. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. It's a bummer what's going on right now for everyone. Yep. And, and that's for the thing everyone. is everybody is struggling with this. Everybody's mm -hmm. suffering with this. Yeah. And so I don't understand why we're all turning on each other. First, we're well, stealing toilet paper from each other. <laughs> <laughs> then, Well, now you got a whole bunch of RMTs <laughs> that are frustrated as fuck are sitting oh, at home doing yeah. nothing. So all they're doing is sitting around on Facebook. Yeah. Right. Just waiting to see something just to run over. My so advice many people are to all waiting of you. for advice from other people. Yes. And I'm thinking like, I feel like I'm in like first term ethics class where people just don't understand that you need to use your own brain and make yeah, judgment yeah. calls. Like, yeah. I just, you know, just... Well, that's what I was saying talk. yesterday. We did a we did an unprofessional hour last night and um, the RMT that came, like her clinic has decided to close, which I, as we said, most of them are because if you don't, you're blacklisted. But her clinic yeah. has decided to close and so she came in to record the unprofessional hour. We were talking about, you know, again, people making the decision and a lot of RMTs were looking to the CMTO to tell them what to do. And what I said on the recording last night, I still stick by today. The CMTO is not going to tell you not to work because they can't really, can't. you know, again, Nor can the government say we're going to put a police officer exactly. outside your door and force you to stay in. So the CMTO <laughs> saying non-essential massage is a fancy way of saying, use your professional judgment, yes. do what you think you need to do. I even think but, they said that in brackets after non-essential massage. But yeah, it's, it's use just your use your judgment. Yes. And so there's therapists that are getting mad at the college for putting out that email and saying like what does it wasn't this mean clear it's not it's not clear oh enough my god i just think like it's, i think it's really fucking clear yeah, that like everything else we're in a state of emergency and let's be honest what massage is essential i literally and i really i'll be honest i struggled with that last night because they actually mind, have a definition to that actually i'll they? find it yeah yeah you need to find it It was in response to somebody's but even, tweet to but them. even the definition <sighs> was basically just saying if a person you know no is gonna is going to be yeah, if their quality their of quality life. of life 
is going to be affected. Their quality of life already sucks. That's why they're seeing massage regularly. Well, I mean, there are some people that, <laughs> people, you know, yes. just go for massage because they sure. like massage. And that's what it means by use your judgment. So I had said last night, I'm sure I'll get some backlash for it, but I have a couple of chronic pain clients that I see very regularly right. because without seeing me, they can barely function. Right. And so, I mean... Unfortunately, her and I did decide to cancel today, but as of last night, we still hadn't. Yeah. But she's somebody that can some days barely get out of bed. Yeah. Her pain level reaches, you know, 12 out of yeah. 10. Like she's in so I much pain. I got you. I got a little handful of clients like that. Right. that. In my mind, I was like, I'll just see these five people regularly and yeah. I'll keep it into my, you know, my small yeah. little circle of people. So I'm not, you know, introducing new people. And then I was like, I can't. I can't promise that people are going to be forthcoming with me about right. and that, where they've and that been. Was just and, it. Yeah. At the time, I was still going to let her come in today yeah. because, again, I know she lives alone. It's just her and her. Her husband, yeah. but she is elderly. Okay. So her and I talked last night and I said, if you are comfortable, like I'm happy to see you because I'm, I'm not really seeing anybody else. And I know how important this is to you. Yeah. I know how important your appointments are with me. And then she responded back and said, you know, you have little kids, you have a family. And I think for everyone's safety, I'll, you know, I'll up my pain meds and hopefully see you in a couple of weeks. And yeah. that was it. Right. But yeah. at the time I looked at it. Okay. If we're talking non-essential, I don't put her in that category. Her quality of life is definitely yes. decreased by not seeing yes. me today. I but have a couple, yeah, I have a couple too where I'm thinking like these guys have such bad head headaches where mm -hmm. they can't function or, you know, I have a woman waiting for surgery right now where, you know, other services kind of step back because massage is the only thing that gives her enough relief to yep. get through kind of the next couple of days. So I feel you on that. That was really hard for me. And um, it's still hard for me to kind of process that piece. It is hard. I do it definitely is. feel like I'm abandoning my clients, but yeah. I'm abandoning my clients for the greater good. And I understand sure. that. Yeah. Um, but that again, everyone going crazy and getting up in arms about what is non-essential. I'm like, well, use your head yeah. here, people. Like it's it, it's set, massage is not essential. No. Nobody's going to die. No. So, I mean, if you want to be extreme and say non-essential, then that means everybody. It's so funny, even in the MVA world, like the first thing I'm always like told is like, massage is not an essential yeah. service. And it's like, so I know. In the, in the <laughs> CMTO's reply tweet back was, thanks for reaching out. Our primary concern is public protection. We are monitoring and will provide updates as they become available. Essential massage therapy treatment is only when the client's health or function is seriously uh, would seriously decline if treatment was not provided. That was that was their right. response. And so that's that's not a huge majority of people. So there are probably still some therapists who For are sure. quietly seeing clients who really need them. And Absolutely. like I said, I I'm openly saying it over the air and somebody's going to hate me for it, but yeah. I was willing to do that for this one particular woman. Yeah. We made the decision together to hold off, but but if she calls me next week and she's in horrible pain and, you right. know, the situation hasn't changed in any way, I don't know. I, I, know. I might say like, because okay. it's a weird go. Like, I mean, so she's in so much pain and say she she needs to see somebody. Yeah. She definitely can't go see her doctor. Her doctor's going to be like, you can't come in here. Yeah. No this. one's letting anyone No one's in. letting anyone in. So then she's left to what? Just kind of sit there and suffer on sit her own. Yeah, That's exactly. kind of, you know. That's kind of where I feel like some go. of my clients are going to be over the next couple of weeks. And I just, I feel like my hands are tied because I yeah. just, I also don't want to hold the guilt of spreading something because exactly. I'm not somatic. And again, like I, I'm not a doctor's office. I can't test you. I can't test me. I can't test the next 20 people that come in and out yeah. of your house, right? Exactly. Like so, yeah. It's it's just a really weird go, right? Yeah, now. it's it, like Mark it's said. So there's no right there's now, no right? winning. Like I had um before you came in, I had a friend here, and he was he's 
got family in Italy. And so he was telling me one of his wife's cousins actually has tested positive and is in isolation and whatever. And uh, I said, well, is this a young guy, an old guy? Like, talk to me about the um, your cousin's health. And he said, he's a young, healthy guy. And I said, so what is he experiencing? What are the symptoms? He's like, he feels perfectly fine. Like, it's, you know, for somebody young and healthy. Yeah. It's not severe. He says he feels no more than he would if he had like a common yeah. cold. And if he didn't know what it was, he would just go to work. Yeah. Mm. So we have in Kitchener, kind of to lighten the mood, in Kitchener, Waterloo, St. Patrick's Day today, um, we literally will have up to like 33,000 students partying on the street. So today they pretty much kicked all the students out of Kitchener, Waterloo, because um, and the police are there. They're going to try to stop it. But I mean, talking about young and healthy kids, right? Like yeah. putting 30,000 of them in a room together and you would never know if any of them were yeah, because majority of them will be asymptomatic Absolutely. or have mild yeah. cold-like symptoms yeah. and that's why which I think they probably I saw... do this time of year anyway right. but i think i did just see a statistic that said the biggest spreaders of coronavirus are the 20 somethings because they feel yeah. fine mm. so, and they don't anyway. know and they're invincible and in all fairness i look back at sars and think like i was in my mid-20s when i was invincible yeah i was like i 20... like don't even remember what i did for sars i think i was like 20 21 or 22 it was 2003 2003 i I don't remember i was 20 i think it was 2003 but yeah yeah, i was young so i was invincible and we have no i don't know if you do i don't have any memory of any safety precautions i was taking at the age of 20 but i'm not i'll be honest no memory of safety precautions i do remember though because i worked for the city that i was not allowed to go to sars stock nobody was allowed to call in sick for that (laughs) i know so many people who went i did not go to that i didn't go because i wasn't allowed i worked for the city i would have lost my job Mm. they said anybody who calls in sick that day will lose their job because they knew that everybody wanted to go so yeah it sucked did it it was it was it was fun but it was horrible rolling stones rolling stones acdc was there rolling stones was there rush was there i don't remember if Smith was there i just know it sucked man because like there's so many fucking people and you gotta piss and it's like you guess i'm going right here in my beer cup that i finished you fit in, you chug your beer quick so you can piss in your cup because yeah. there's nowhere. I don't know what else to do here. I'm not walking 80,000 miles over here to go line up at a porta potty. <laughs> this is reminding me of when uh, the Raptors won last year and there was like all the, you know, fandomonium, the craziness right. on the streets. Um, there were people admitting that they were like shitting their pants because there was nowhere to go. There is nowhere to go. That's why I don't understand. Like, even when New York, when, when New York <laughs> like City my does. tailgating nightmare. When New, when New York City does. Does their does does their New Year's Eve Times Square? Yeah. Times Square. I'm like, I would never go. No, like, you couldn't pay me. You fuck? can't get out. Once exactly. You're in there, I'm you like, can't what, get do you, out. what do you do when you gotta take a piss? I had a client like seven years ago, and her and her boyfriend at the time. So her boyfriend was from I think Seattle, and she was here in Toronto. They had a long distance. Re- they're actually married now, but they had a long distance relationship for a while, and they were meeting in New York to do uh, New Year's Eve in Times Square. And I was like, why? Why are you doing that, that to yourself? This eh? sounds terrible. <laughs> no. Yeah. Anywhere no. you can't just fucking freely use a washroom I'm out yeah because like, I've like I've had this happen to me I'm so <laughs> stupid to admit this like I'm I'm driving on the 401 I'm, it, this is like dead winter it's like freezing outside it's like snowing like crazy and I gotta piss so bad but there like there's no en route for the longest time and I'm like I don't want to get out of my pull over the side of the highway <laughs> and take a piss so I reach to the back of it in the back seat and there's washer fluid can't believe you're admitting and, this and it's, right it's now half, <laughs> it's half full washer fluid so I'm like you know what I'm just going to piss into the container of washer fluid. Cool. So I do this and I, I cap it back and I just throw it in the back seat. Yeah. Weeks later, when I run out of washer fluid, totally forgot I yeah. pissed in it, <laughs> put it into my car. And then it's not till I'm spraying, the, I'm, I, I put it on my windshield. I'm like, 
isn't oh, this shit supposed gross. to be blue? Like, why is it not? Why is it? <laughs> why is it green? <laughs> and I was like, oh, right. That time. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, you are so disgusting. And you know what? The things you do when you're trapped in a car, I'm not going to lie. I do a lot of long drives to Jersey. And sometimes you got to wait a couple hours between those yeah. rest stops. So yep. you do what you got to do. And <laughs> that's amazing. Oh, My partner is a marathon runner for a brief bit. And he has like some great stories. And he's always anxious about like having, you know, like an accident during yeah, a marathon, yeah. right? Like that would be awful. And literally he said like he literally ran this marathon. It happened. And he literally just ran through the finish line right into the <laughs> <laughs> they're like you can stop now he's no. like no i can't and then just he said he like went back out grabbed his medal and he was gone he wasn't like sticking around to talk to nobody so <laughs> things oh, we do man. when we gotta go how did we get on this topic i don't, I don't even know sorry, it's sorry. this it's coronavirus i'm telling you our brains are just there it's a little bit all over the place it's a little bit yeah. all over the place well yeah. let's get back to okay. your career path yeah. though so you okay so you got this job with the mobile mva and your first client client turns out to be yeah. quite a heavy case. So for he you. wasn't my first client, but he was my first kind of like, wow, okay, like I'm really being put up to the challenge. Some of my other clients yeah. were kind of typical, like they've been home, either chronic cases just waiting for settlements to happen and I'm just kind of managing some pain symptoms. Um but this one, yeah, it was it was a little bit challenging, but I think I'm almost at about a year of working with them kind of on and off. Um, and I'd say the last month I've been getting a little bit of like arm grabs. He's never been really physical with me. I I have been asked not to come in because he's been aggressive with his wife. Um, usually when I'm there, his wife is not in the area because he seems to kind of be fixated on her or will kind of check in with her and he can't relax. Uh, so you, now the PSW kind of puts relaxing music on and we kind of give him lots of rewind, reminders, you know, like this is massage. It's kind of relaxing time. Uh, he often at first kind of confused me with his physical or his physiotherapist because sometimes in the middle of treatment when he'd be laying prone he'd just start doing push-ups like obsessively i'm like nope that's not no, my time like <laughs> this is relaxing like this is yeah, relaxation yeah. time we're not you know we're not like doing any type of strengthening um so now i'm so anyways ab about a month or two ago he kind of caught me off guard and kind of grabbed my arm um and then just kind of like pet my hand and was like i'm gonna write you a check i'm gonna you know i'm gonna write you a check you just don't worry about money i'm gonna take care of you so i kind of took that as like him kind of starting to feel a little bit more comfortable with me and mm -hmm. him just kind of valuing the work that we're doing together um because it is very challenging it's hard for me to ask him like what hurts because he'll kind of go through these repetitive like arms don't hurt chest doesn't hurt back doesn't hurt this doesn't hurt and just like I have to wait for him to get through every single body part that doesn't hurt mm -hmm. um, and then he'll go you know to his he's got two kind of um, amputated legs so uh, he will point to his one leg and be like one two three four five and point out the five parts that probably hurt him the most um, whether these hurt him the most or it's just kind of a repetitive thing mm -hmm. that he's kind of created in his head um, it just gives me a sense of you you know, where he wants me to work and where he doesn't want me to work. And um, also making sure PSW is really, really the person that's well informed as to what I'm doing. So early on, we did a lot of talking about what I'm doing, why I'm doing it, why it's helpful, mm -hmm. what my goals are with him, um, and that sort of stuff. So so that's, he's kind of one of my favorites. I don't like to have favorites. That's but such challenging work. Oh, wow. gosh. Yeah. And I remember, so I was kind of like pushing away from working like Peel, and my boss was helping me take stuff off my plate because I was like fuck like I only wanted to work three days a week I'm working six like this is fucking crazy mm -hmm. she's like oh I'm sorry so she kind of took him off my my roster um and then 
uh, yeah, no, like a couple months ago, I was like, so do you want to work with so-and-so again? I was like, yes, please send me back to him. So I'm so happy to be working with him again. We've just kind of finished, you know, or just kind of started where we left off last, which has been nice. Yeah. Could you do that work? Could I? Yes. Yes, I could. Yeah. I don't think it's for everybody. I think I could now. Um, I've definitely had experiences, like I said, working with different sorts of populations. Um, I've done volunteer work with stroke rehab patients. Mm -hmm. I've worked with, like I said, high-functioning autism. I've worked with clients with cerebral palsy. Um, I've worked with people who have... um, aggression as part of their behavior so i mean i think i could i've done a lot of training on how to deal with those types of pop do you ever get scared in these moments um so i'm gonna yeah i'm gonna share a couple stories about kind of what does scare me because i think what doesn't scare me might scare most people yeah um so i'd say so shortly after i got this person onto my roster i got a referral for an individual who is in convalescent care um i was aware that he was a fentanyl addict uh Mm. prior to his accident even though every time i saw him he's like he's like i'm clean i'm like being in a hospital doesn't mean you're like just because you don't have access to drugs doesn't mean you've like finished the 12-step program so anyway so i had this new client working with him in convalescent care uh recognize that um so i'll just kind of share some of the behaviors that i kind of witnessed and then you can kind of guess kind of what i thought his previous life made of look like um so he was involved in a motor vehicle accident um i believe the people in the vehicle were under the influence of something Mm -hmm. i don't quite know um i think he was probably the most banged up he was not the driver of the vehicle he was the passenger um and it had been convalescent care but his roommate was the driver of the vehicle so when convalescent care was kind of done he really didn't have a place he wanted to go because obviously there's now some legal stuff going on where so-and-so is suing so-and-so right. and can't go back to that mm-hmm. house um so anyways I, I visit with him uh he clearly has some open open school scars um which is certainly a symptom of fentanyl uh, and other hard drugs where they kind of have these open sores or they obsessively pick at these sores so they Mm -hmm. never really heal um so i kind of had to work through that so wearing gloves or kind of working over sheets so that it wasn't uh touching anything there um but every time i came he was kind of like yeah just give me five minutes and you know like these old people (laughs) and he's a younger guy you know these old people pulling up in wheelchairs and be like hey you got any smokes and you know and here he's (laughs) handing him smokes and they're handing him cash or you know they're handing him (laughs) Food or like you know he's kind of running like a cigarette like yeah. <laughs> a cigarette thing going actually his roommate was super interesting his roommate was like like older gentleman who's been in reflexology for ages and like knows everyone in reflexology so would like ask me stuff and i'm like hey like i've been doing this for six months like don't ask me what i know yet <laughs> i'm just here <laughs> you know and and i know i i did treat the feet a lot because he had a hip replacement so we were kind of working like the entire guy leg and when I get to the feet I could always like I could just like feel his like eyes staring at me like what on the feet are you working on oh the solar plexus and in my mind I'm like what's the solar plexus I don't want to touch the solar plexus like what are we talking about so um so that was always really interesting um the most interesting part about this is so when he left convalescent care where is he gonna go he's got no family I think he had a family member that was like like buck nowhere on terror so um he was super attached to the city life um so 
you know, leaving was really hard for him. And unfortunately for him in his mind, he's like, oh, this lawyer's probably like promising me like I'm going to be rich out of this settlement, right? So he's thinking like, oh, I can just talk to my lawyer and my lawyer will set me up with housing. And it almost kind of, I kind of felt like these lawyers were kind of being looked at as social workers. And it might just be where these people were at and and their connections with community members who would help them. Mm -hmm. Um, But it almost felt like these lawyers were kind of like, hey, I need 20 bucks. Can you send me 20 bucks? Or um, So anyway, so he didn't have a place to go. So uh, we were kind of up in the air as to like, how am I going to continue to treat? How are other practitioners going to continue to work? with him um and then i get an email saying well he's found housing and i was like oh what a relief Mm because i don't know what was going to happen to him this like i felt like he was going to get kicked out for like dealing i feel like Um, he would have just ended up on the streets honestly oh that's exactly um what would have happened so anyways he ended up at the super eight (laughs) on the side of the highway Mm. and i had this really long conversation with my boss and i mean she's not my boss because we're independent contractors but i had a really long conversation with her about like so I'm a massage therapist and I'm going to a hotel room Mm. to treat someone who already has a very questionable history um and when these people I say these people I don't mean to say that at all I don't want to offend anyone um but when people come from difficult times and a people that have been really oppressed and really have a hard time kind of getting onto their two feet um, and are really connected with social services. Um, there's kind of a game people play with each other where, hey, so-and-so's like coming up with some money. So so people around him started hanging out with him that never hung out with him before. And I think it, they looked at him as kind of like an ATM or this potential mm, for like, yeah, yeah. hey, when you come across some big money, I have a deal that we can kind of mm. get into. Um, so anyways, long story short, I decided that I, I would treat him um, at this motel. We tried different things like, can we set up a different room? Do you have an open space? They'd, I mean, it was like the cheapest of the cheapest. You know, motel. They don't have any amenities there, which is why it's so cheap. Um, So I had to treat in his room. Um, He did have a girl that was, oh my God, I'm saying this out loud and I'm thinking like, what the hell did I get myself (laughs) into? Um, He did have someone at the time that was kind of there that could kind of vouch for my treatments. And um, it was also important for me that someone else kind of was listening into kind of my, you know, my home care, my recommendations and stuff like that. So it didn't just kind of fall on deaf ears. Um, but we were probably about a couple weeks in before I was like, I don't feel comfortable doing this. Every time I come in, he's talking about some guy stalking me or someone beat me up in the parking lot. And in my mm, mind, I was like, oh, you yeah. are not involved in some good stuff. And you're really kind of putting me at risk by being here. Yeah. And I already felt like I was at risk. Like, really, what RMT is going to the Super 8 to do? This all just sounds like treatment, the beginning right? of like a crime movie. <laughs> it's so dangerous. I again. And I, I have so much background and training to like yeah, yeah. protect myself, you know, how to de-escalate crisis situations. So um, I think I'm really strong in that. But I also recognize when like I don't have control over these situations mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, long story short, I think I backed off or was kind of doing more like phone check-ins and maybe putting off treatments just until like I felt more comfortable with my decision. Um, and then long story short, this person is still missing to this day, like left. I mean, I connect with the OT every now and then who's on his file and she's like, Ooh, mm. 
And I always remember I have better boundaries now as an RMT. They're not my responsibility outside of my treatments. Um, but that's something I hold on to, too. I, I will go. I do check on Facebook and see if he's had any activity or mm-hmm. something. Just, mm-hmm. yeah. But again, not my place. He's got other people that can, yeah, do that. You really do meet some interesting characters. So I have another I really want to share. I don't really want to share because obviously I don't want to jeopardize people's, you know, confidentiality. But I worked with a young gentleman also, I believe, a brain injury. Um, Wasn't really checked out very well because I think he kind of put everyone off. Like he presents very well and he's kind of like this young, macho, full of muscles kind of kid. And right off the bat, um, disclosed to me within like our first week of sessions that he had sex with his previous massage therapist. Or did he? Exactly. So once you get to know him you're kind of like oh this guy's totally like grooming and testing so but i mean he really put me off like in the first couple weeks i was like oh for fuck's sakes like like oh you know and i'm trying to do the social worky thing like you know like how do you feel like you know like that's really not okay that someone would do that like we're in this therapeutic relationship and there's that like it's zero tolerance and you know and i mean i did all that stuff but um i recognized that he was also very sexualized had this brain injury and is just maybe stuck a little bit in this over sexualized mm-hmm. state of being um so oftentimes we'd really have to stop like really clear boundaries like as like even before my table was set up we'd have very clear conversations because he did a lot of testing and grooming what does the conversation sound like um so i always do this thing where i'm like how are you doing and then if people start talking about their personal lives i have to stop and be like no 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 like how's your body doing because people kind of get off in this like my this my husband this or my boyfriend or i'm mad at you know it's yeah, like, and see the whoa, whoa, rest whoa. of us yeah. the rest of us just listen to that because yeah. when you have someone who's better. quote normal mm-hmm. like that's yeah. the wrong word but like somebody who doesn't have a history or you right. know some sort of major traumatic event that's happened in their life yeah you'll let them vent about their family and lifestyle but in your case that could go down a slippery slope and that's a dangerous path to head down a, a big part of how i kind of build a big trust is people really kind of feel good with me because I think they know I had that background. So as much as I'm very clear off the cuff that although this is my history and I have a lot of experience in social work and working with vulnerable populations, people in crisis, um, I have to remind people that I'm your massage therapist. That's not my scope of practice. So, um, But I think because I do share that people generally have this sense of like, okay, like I can let my guards down maybe a little bit more. Although I mean, as RMTs, like it doesn't matter what your background is. People are going to share everything, everything and anything with you. It's true. Yeah. yeah. So he was just always so kind of back to how I would kind of set up that initial yeah. uh, conversation. A lot of times it was just being really clinical, um, really anatomy focused, what we were doing, why I was doing it kind of felt like I was like a term two teacher just being like really <laughs> layman's terms and basic about, um, you know, massage therapy treatment. And he would often say kind of during treatment, like, God, you're so professional. And I would take that as like, thank you for respecting my boundaries, mm-hmm. period. Because that's how I took that. Because if he didn't think I was professional, he'd probably carry on conversations about who he was fucking that week. And right. he would talk to me about that stuff all the time so kind of nearing the end i was ready to kind of discharge him because it was just a little too much for me and it really started making me feel uncomfortable and i wasn't Mm -hmm. able to uh work with him but um actually i'm coming in from kind of like i think peel back into like hamilton area um and he sent me this message saying like 
hey, can you come in two hours? I have this girl downstairs. And I said, that's fine. We can cancel. Because in my mind, I'm already like, I'm not fucking treating you if you're fucking going to fuck a girl and then have me come in and massage you. Like, that's not fucking happening. Yeah. So my response was very straightforward. So he said that and I said, we can cancel today and I'll reschedule you another day this week. And he's like, no, 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 just come. And I was like, well, fuck, now I have to go because now we have this scheduled appointment. So the whole time I was like, oh, this is so weird. It's just weird. So I went anyways, we kind of did our typical, like, how are you doing? No, 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 no. How's your body doing? Um, And then started treatment. And he was like obsessively checking his phone. He started talking about this girl. And I just was like, I just stopped. And I said, you know what? You go fuck that girl. I'm leaving. Mm. And that was that. It was just like, and then something happened with his PT. He threw something at her. And then we all just kind of stepped out like, you're not safe to work with. (laughs) Which is kind of funny because the OT and I, so when I get referrals from the specific OT, I already know that they're going to be the craziest of the crazy clients because she always gets the craziest of the crazy clients. And I don't mean crazy, but I just mean very challenging, very mm-hmm. at risk. Those are the ty- those are the type of people that she gets. So um, she obviously likes to work with me because I will work with them for as long as I can work with them. And that's probably more to say than some other therapists for sure. When a patient like this is discharged, do you give a heads up to like the, the next therapist or this is just stuff that you would just document? <sighs> so, do you so, actually like... Yeah. So, I mean, I'm assuming there wouldn't be another therapist involved, especially not home-based at that time. Um, So, because these are motor vehicles, there's Mm -hmm. usually an occupational therapist that goes in and does that big initial assessment and then refers services out. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, they're kind of like the case manager on the file a lot of times, if there isn't a separate case manager from an OT. Um, These case managers are usually the ones that kind of give insight. Because I know when he initially told me about, like, I fucked my previous massage therapist, he didn't give me a name or anything. Thing, right. We checked in with her to be like, why the fuck would you send me in there knowing that he's fucking his healthcare professionals? Um, and she was kind of like, uh, like he mentioned something about like having sex with a nurse, but I don't really know what I'd take him because he's so overtly sexual all the time that you think he's just saying this to see if he can like yeah. write how you're going to respond to it. Interesting as hell, man. Yeah. And then you go back to thinking about the therapist that we talked to that, you know, they get hit on by a client and you have to deal with this. Like this is well beyond, oh, you know, a so- client who's maybe making an inappropriate comment just to test the waters like this guy was it's funny that you say that so probably when I very first started um, the owner of the clinic that I was working at she was approached by the sexual assault center um, in our area to say like hey can you give a consult for these RMT students and then she asked me knowing kind of my background like hey let's go give them because we were talking about sexual harassment. Right. So, you know, like me and my boss are talking and like talking about all the stuff we're going to be able to share because we're thinking they want us to talk about how to protect the public from sexual harassment of RMTs. And then it turns out we're sitting there and we're so dumbfounded. It's because these, these, and I hate to say young girls, but these younger, new, into career, learning life boundary, you know, like boundaries with people, they're being like sexually harassed by people coming into student clinic. Um, And if you think people don't go into student clinic thinking they might get a happy ending, like I hear this story all the time at CCM, not CCMH, but that's my only connection. But like Mm -hmm. there are stories from the receptionist that like men will walk in and be like, hey, can I have her? What kind of massage? And I'm being like, like people legitimately, this is still where we're at. It's not going anywhere. No, it's not. Yeah, Yeah, it's not. So even with the respect massage stickers all over the place. They don't fucking respect us. Well, then, yeah, this is interesting. So, I mean, those are some of the kind of 
case loads that you get doing the mobile MVA. Talk to me about people in the sex trade because you work with them as well. So I I have one client in particular. Um, She, oh, this is crazy too. Um, she she has she's an amputee as well um and the hospital almost amputated the wrong limb because the x-ray <gasps> was backwards whoa oh so my God. lots of complications um lots lots of obviously history of trauma um nothing of this has ever really been like said to me verbatim that this is what she does yeah. um but when i go into her home she lives in a very sketchy part of hamilton um unfortunately it looks like where she's living is a lot of low-income housing Mm -hmm. um you can just tell by the people that are kind of you know coming in and out um so so again i kind of come in uh things that kind of give me clues are she's got wigs all over her apartment um she wears the highest of heels and the sexiest shoes of anyone I've ever seen. Mm. But in my mind, she's really low income, doesn't have a lot of places to go, always complains about like lower body pain. And every time I see her, I'm like, please tell me you're not wearing these shoes. Like, if you're going to wear these shoes, I'm going to be working on your lower body for like the rest of your life. Yeah. Um, so those are some clues. Um, there's other things around her house. Like I've seen drugs. I mean, who has like a torch in the middle, like on their coffee table? Mm, like yeah, no yeah, one's yeah. lighting their blunts with torches. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I treat this person. Uh, she's got very high anxiety. Um, so sometimes I'm at her door and I knock and I know she's in there, but she doesn't come and answer. And then I know, like, within 20 minutes, I'm going to get a message that says, I was sleeping. I'm sorry I didn't hear you. Even though in my mind, I'm like, I saw you moving around in front of the door, you know, the door, the people. Um, So, yeah, so I I work with her. Um, This is kind of where I struggle because not everyone's forthcoming with us as RMTs, especially with that health history. I think a lot of people come in and think, well, you're just going to kind of rub me and make me feel good. Like, what do I really need to share with you? Exactly. So drug use is something that people are usually not for coming right with me even if i see it on your table and question you about it i'm not going to press you on it i'm going to make an assumption that you are using mm-hmm. um so i so i kind of keep that kind of stuff in mind um and same with the profession like that like how am i going to bring that up to you without making things uncomfortable without kind of making our great therapeutic relationship at this point strenuous or make you feel anxious where you're not going to want services anymore uh, but at the same time protecting myself and being really like open yeah. about yeah. what you're doing so I can treat you the best so um, there's cases like that where I just kind of make assumptions about what people are doing and it's not really fair that I'm doing that because they're not always like not making an assumption that she's like you know going out and you know helping the homeless <laughs> like I'm making mm-hmm. an assumption that you know she's really putting herself at risk when she's in the community and is potentially hurting herself or you know having other people hurt her too so um those are the people that I kind of take day by day and kind of work with them at the level that they're willing to work with me at while maintaining safety at the same time but you guys can't people. see <laughs> Susie right now but through this entire thing she's smiling and is so bubbly and again I'm thinking about the number of therapists I know personally like my friends who would walk into a home like it that and be like up. no fucking way not for a million dollars I'm out yeah I think yeah. I've always taken I've always 
so being a special ed background, like inclusion is so important to me. Like I, this was my whole thesis was people who learn together, learn to live together. So we can, you know, like, you know, put people live over here and we'll live over here and kind of isolate ourselves from each other. Um, but I really, truly believe that you don't respect each other unless you kind of sit with each other. So mm. um, for me, I, I really, even as a social worker, and like I said, I love social work thinking like, fuck this. I'm moving to the Bahamas. I'm starting a massage school in the Bahamas. I'm <laughs> out of here. Um, it didn't happen. Um but no, like I just I really value not creating barriers to treatment and, and not working with, you know, like barriers to working with people. And, you know, like in my previous career, I saw I saw kids being, you know, kicked out of schools or kids being kicked out of social clubs because mm-hmm. of something that people didn't understand mm-hmm. or didn't know how to include that person or didn't know how to work with that person. You know, if if we were just a little bit more open minded and thinking like instead of, you know, how can we create a barrier of like, fuck, this person's like not suited to come into my clinic or fuck that I'm not walking into a house where there's drugs on the table you know like just these people still need treatment and if I and I I really believe this and I'm probably like putting myself on a bit of a pedestal but like I really sometimes look at these people and think if I wasn't treating them these people would not be getting treatment right now you're probably right you're probably right I can't imagine there's many therapists. I won't say zero because I'm sure there's other people who are willing to work with all sorts of populations, but I don't know a lot of people who would be willing to walk into a house where there's drugs on the table or walk into a place where they're being like told to get the fuck out and, you know, or walked into a place where they kind of feel unwanted. Like you said, these people have major anxiety. Some of them probably have PTSD or whatever they've got going on. And so you're going in there not knowing what kind of mood you're walking into what kind of yeah like what kind of reception you're gonna get you might be you could be physically removed like I'm always thinking of my safety plan and I know that's something not a lot of RMTs do have a safety plan like just know where your out is know what your boundaries are um these are all things I'm so glad I kind of knew before I was a massage therapist because I feel like a lot of people learn this as they go along and it must be so hard for them or I think of people who've just had such a bad experience that they don't do it anymore and I think like oh we do this beautiful thing where we can make a lot of money and do you know really great things in the world and it can take us in so many different directions like teaching or you know consulting or doing these other things and I I yeah. Since you spoke about money. Yeah. Being that you're working with all MVAs and by the sounds of it, majority of people who could never afford therapy if it mm. weren't for their accident. Um, what is your take home from this? Like, no, I'm not yeah, looking for a dollar I'm, amount. But I'll like- be honest. I'm compensated very well because I do the in-home. Because okay. we charge the mileage, because they charge the administration fees, I'm compensated mm-hmm. very okay. well. That's good. Yeah, very well. So yeah. this is not only something that you're really good at, something that obviously brings you yeah. happiness and joy because it's a challenge for you, but it's also something that you know that you're yeah. made for. But you're getting paid. Yeah, I am. And um, trauma is something I've always worked with. Uh, it's something I tried to run away from, but it always finds me. So I really, you know, focus my practice right now on working with the people who've experienced trauma, mental health. Um, I do have clients outside of this MBA world that are, you know, healthcare professionals that are psychotherapists. Mm-hmm. And they work with me because they know I get 
get it Mm because they know I understand that um, fatigue, that emotional fatigue, that empathetic, you know, that empathy piece that some of us like, like we're all, not all, there's a bunch of us that are really hypersensitive. You can call it being an empath or whatever. I think we're just hypersensitive people, Mm -hmm. um, which is why we feel so much for other people. But, um, but it also being an RMT lets me kind of like shut it off too and be like, this is not your fascia, your like hereditary fascia coming out. Like Mm. you fucking slept fun last night that is why your <laughs> neck hurts like you know so sometimes like I get to kind of check people too and be like get out of your head you know like get back into your body what are you feeling like yeah, not yeah. this like what are you feeling today it's more like what is your body feeling right now right, oh it right, hurts right. like sit with it for a minute like really like just sit with it for a minute what do, like what does hurt mean you know and um, unfortunately, a lot of times with the MVAs, like people are stuck in trauma. Like yeah. they're waiting for these settlements to happen. They're fighting with their insurance companies. They're, you know, they have families to provide for, and and you know, so so I think I enjoy that piece because I know I can kind of do the, you know, the counseling piece, even though that's not my scope of practice and it's not my intention. It's really just sitting there and validating their feelings before mm-hmm. we get into treatment. Yeah, I find I know you guys talk a lot about, you know, do people talk a lot during treatment or are they quiet? I'm telling you right now. Like people who come from trauma are going to talk for that entire hour. I've actually had to shush some of my clients where like they're crying and I'm like, I am such a bitch, but I'm about to tell you to stop crying (laughs) and like, (laughs) let me treat you, you know, because, you know, sometimes they're the biggest barriers to treatment too. Yeah. Are you making a face at me? Like, I I can't believe you tell your clients. No, no, that's not at all. My face was, uh, I would never Um, be able to do what you do. Yeah. I would never at all. I'd be wanting to go massage in the Caribbean. Right? Not, not I'm this. still I'm still thinking about it actually. <laughs> she may eventually. You may come to that brick wall again mm-hmm. where you're like, "Okay, enough is enough and I I can't deal with trauma anymore." Now, you don't have to answer this question yeah. if you don't want, but you said trauma always finds you. Do you think trauma finds you because you've experienced trauma? Do you come from a place where you understand these people? Yeah, I think so. I think that's why I ended up in in social work. Um I, yeah, like just, I mean, I come from an immigrant family that had to like, you know, push through, you know, like having silly accents and people discriminating them, even though mm-hmm. like in my mind, I'm like, oh, I kind of grew up as like a typical white woman, you know, like. Mm-hmm. Where's your family from? Um, They're from the former Yugoslavia. So I'm mm-hmm. kind of this like weird breed of like, I'm not Serbian. I'm not Hungarian. No one knows what Yugoslavia is, but I'm somewhere in there. <laughs> like, you know, they're from, yeah, it's just kind of silly. Like they're in this Hungarian province. So kind of like how we have a Quebec here they're in this hungarian province in serbia so even though i'm serbian but not because i was born in canada um like this whole area is hungarian and a lot of them are actually getting dual citizenship in this province so um yeah so my parents kind of immigrated here in the 70s i came around in the 80s um so i just feel like there's always trauma when you deal with like western mindset with like old school eastern european parents like i feel like that's traumatic um, I remember my te- my mom telling my second grade teacher that she had permission to spank me if she needed to, and my teacher's <laughs> like, "We don't do that." And my mom's <laughs> like, "No, but she needs it. Like, <laughs> you have permission." We don't so, do that. Um, and I'm then trying in- to think if that happened when I was in elementary school. If they did that, and I'm pretty sure yes. You got oh, a spanking. I'm in school? We're, sure. we're 80s babies. Yeah, that's yeah. I mean. that didn't I'm pretty sure I'm us. old enough that uh, yeah. I I got I've gotten a, a ruler across my knuckles in the principal's office. And your parents probably 
high five the principal after oh, yeah. they did that. Today oh. it's like it's like you can't even like refer. Don't to even me. yell oh, at God. my kid. Oh no! Don't look at my kid. Don't yeah. talk to for, my kid. Don't tell me that my kid did anything wrong because I don't believe you. Oh, no. She's right? perfect. Exactly. Oh, for me, for, it was the complete other way around. It was like anything that came out of my mouth was like not correct. Your teacher's always right. Blah 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 blah. I'm yeah. Like, Fuck. Yeah. Same with the neighborhood. If my if yeah. my neighbor caught me doing something bad and my neighbor brought me up by like this, you know, like with my ear, like let me tell you, my mom was about to give it to me worse than the neighbor just did and the neighbor was again probably sent a thank you note the next day with a pie you know (laughs) like just that time so um maybe not trauma just very much like feeling dis disconnected from maybe my family and Mm -hmm. i kind of felt like we came from different worlds um my dad passed away when i was in high school but again i went to a catholic school that was very like warm and welcoming and really kind of wrapped their arms around me when that happened so i don't i don't feel like that was traumatic September 11th was really traumatic because I was down in New Jersey for two weeks and then like out my dorm room window did like I not watch all of this kind of unfold. That was super traumatic for me. Um, And then kind of coming home and being involved in all this social work stuff. I think there's a lot of vicarious trauma. Like, so I know you talk about kind of trauma finding you. I I, I think I just um, I enjoy the work. I've, I've think I do good work when I when I'm kind of touching that piece. Um, I was really young when I started in social work. So I felt like teenagers, adolescents in particular, really identified me and I was able to kind of get across to them because I wasn't this like old woman, you know, mm-hmm. trying to tell them what to do. Yeah. Um, so I think because of that, I just kind of developed this really great way of communicating with people in crisis. And Well, when you wanted to be a comedian, you also yeah. mentioned part of that was insecurity, yeah. right? So if you grow up feeling like an outcast, I think you also can identify more with the black sheep or the outcasts. Like I have a sister who went through, I mean, she's been through so much trauma and I feel Mm. like the, for lack of a better term, the weirdos find her. Like the people who are not, but it's true. It's like my sister's got this great group of friends and I mean, there's, there's, they're all like very lovely people, but I can guarantee you if I met them outside of my sister introducing them to me, we, they're not probably the people I would be friends with, but it's like my sister's always somehow like very like open Open. and empathetic. So when you're talking about me smiling and being bubbly, I think that's what it is. I think I lock eyes with someone. They're like, you look like you yeah. want to talk to me, right? Well, that's it. Like, literally, my, my <laughs> sister literally talks to everybody. It's actually hilarious. If she ever listens to this, she's she's probably going to hate me for a second. But like, literally anybody, like if there's somebody on the street just by themselves minding their own business, my sister will find a reason to speak to them. But that's, again, she had so much trauma growing mm. up. She's been through so much of her own stuff. She was definitely an outcast. She was really heavily bullied when she was young. And so I think she just identifies with the people that everybody else like maybe doesn't notice. It's intuitive. I think it's this intuitive thing. So as much as I don't think I was an outcast, I was really athletic, always kind of hung out with the popular kids. Um, I think I just always put a lot of pressure on myself. Like I wasn't as pretty as my friends or maybe I wasn't as good at sports as my friends. So I think that's where my insecurities came. But I think like growing up, I was always like I was never made to feel. Um, but speaking of that, like in high school, I did. I worked with the special needs kids. I did the peer tutoring program. I did that too. I did. Yeah. You know what? <laughs> my co-op, I worked with a child and youth worker. They used to be called child psychologists, which is really funny because they weren't. And now they're child and youth workers. So I kind of laugh about that now. Mm. Um, but yeah, like that's what I did for my co-op in high school because I just I always knew I wanted to be a teacher. I always loved kids. 
Um, and it was for that exact reason. I, I always had really great relationships with kind of teachers and wanted to to be that for other kids that might not have that at home. So mm-hmm. maybe my whole not identifying with my parents very well growing up um, is maybe why kind maybe not the trauma piece, but really wanting people to like me or wanting people to kind of identify, you mm. know, vice versa and being able to have yeah. these relationships. I also think empathy is very much innate. Um, I'll give you two examples. One is myself. Um, in high school, I was the same. I actually, my group of friends were, quote, the popular mm-hmm. kids. So I always felt like I was like prejudged by other people because of who I hung out with. Like I had a good group of girlfriends, but they might have been looked at as being cliquey or stuck right. up or whatever. But I was sort of the the person in the group that also had other friends outside of our group. Yeah. So I did drama. So mm-hmm. I had like the drama geek friends. Like I, you know, right. I was in some of the school plays. And I remember a few people in high school saying to me, I'm very surprised when I got to know you. Like you're not who I expected mm. you to be. You know, they expected yeah. me to be this really stuck up, like bitchy kind of girl, yeah. right? This mean girl. Yes. But I wasn't. But it was I was always just much more empathetic. I never joined in on, you know, people making fun of other yeah. people. I I never had the heart to do that. Yeah. Like I was kind of friends with everybody. I didn't care if you were quote popular or cool or right. it, everybody was yeah. good with me. Um, but the other is our daughter. So she's not even six and she cries at movies. Like she's just oh, so empathetic no. and she's so <laughs> like it she takes on everything. Oh. We were watching Frozen 2 this morning, a movie she has seen before. Right. And at the end of it, she was crying and I was just hugging her and I said, Are these happy tears or these sad tears? And she just kept looking at me going, I don't know. And I said, yeah. Are you okay? She's like, oh, Yeah, I'm she's okay. Got it. But she's just she's got, got she's it. got the empathy. Yeah. And it's always been that way. It's Even funny. when she was yeah. two. I remember crying to the little mermaid when I was little and really having these strong feelings about it like why do I like why is this so powerful right now yeah. like why is it changing my mood and um and then you go through your 20s and you kind of dissociate from the world so you don't really have any feelings through your 20s but yeah now that I'm older and maybe since leaving social work um I really tried to create some really big boundaries so I wasn't kind of cuz at that time I was really burnt out like I didn't have empathy for anybody mm-hmm. in fact I probably isolated myself from a lot of friends who were going through shit because I was like I like I don't have it becomes, I don't have it becomes it. difficult you can't yeah. take on everybody's shit you don't and I never understood when people would say um know your boundaries respect your boundaries honestly those were just words to me I didn't yeah, quite get it it's true but it's not until these last few years where I'm Mark still will say to me sometimes my phone will be ringing and it'll be a girlfriend and it's not that I don't want to talk to them or don't like them or there's anything going on there's just sometimes where I know I'm not ready to have a conversation about somebody else's yeah. problems right now. Yep. <laughs> and I have to just yeah. not answer my phone yeah. sometimes. And I'll get back to them when I'm ready for mm-hmm. it because there's certain friends that I know, you know, they'll call me for advice or they need, and I want to help and, you and give I it want to, them, to be there. So you have to take But the I time. know that if I answer the call when I don't have the energy for it, it's not going to go well. Yeah. So I'm like, no, no, I'm, I, it, I will literally say, I'll look at my phone. I'm like, I don't have it right now. Yeah. And I just put it down. And yeah. he'll always say, answer your phone. I'm like, I can't. I just can't. It's hard. It's hard when you kind of have that empathy and when it's a really big part of kind of who you are and how your friends see you. It's really, for me, that was really challenging um, to really kind of separate myself kind of in leaving that career. And even now still having some friends that are like, you watch, like, 
I see them, they're burnt out and they've been burnt out for years. And, you know, they look at you like, wow, like I'm so proud of you. And I wish I had the guts to do what you did and just kind of leave and not look back. And I'm like, you can, <laughs> like mm. you, can. you can. And, you know, it's and scary. It is so scary because you make such good money as a social worker too. But when I look back at it, I was like, I was working 80 hours a fucking week. Like I said, like I work nine to five. And then my kids were working another nine to five. I wasn't right. Like I never shut off. And I mean, we're mandated by like legal reports. So you're writing case notes about every time oh, you saw someone yeah. and then you have to do plan a care report. So you're writing on all 40, you know, like all those whatever aspects of growth and progress mm -hmm. and you're making shit up just to kind of get your reports out. And then that takes away like from time where you're trying to meet with, you know, your kids that really need you. And then one kid's in crisis and then they take all your time for two weeks where you can't, you know, it's just this cesspool of like never being able to help people. And I don't mean to say it that way because a lot of, you know, a lot of people do get the help that they need, but it's just, yeah, it's hard. It was never ending. It never yeah. ended. You, and you can never catch up with your, with I your work. I do completely understand why you decided not to start your own family. Like, how do you put energy into your own kids when you're taking yeah. care of everybody else's? Never going to happen. It wasn't no. going to happen. Um, and my partner at the time, um, he never wanted kids because he was super selfish. <laughs> um, and I'm so thankful. Like, yeah, we, okay. we ended up getting, a, you know, we were separated because like, and I look back and think like, thank God we didn't have kids because like, yeah. fuck. That would have been really hard. At least hard. You're, you're aware enough to know that you're selfish enough that you don't want kids. Oh, God. He it's was, yo, know, he recognized that. He That's used to good. just say it right out. Like, if we had kids, you'd never let me buy music equipment. <laughs> right? <laughs> I was like, you're right. <laughs> I would not let you buy music equipment when we have <laughs> children. Mark's giggling, thinking like, yeah, once we had kids, I stopped <laughs> buying motorcycles. I stopped buying uh, music equipment. True, eh? <laughs> you still buy music equipment. All the Let's Motorcycles and music equipment that I used to buy. Yeah. Do you still you still buy some stuff? No, actually, I really? don't. The last uh, every... thing he bought was your tabletop drums. Like that was a few years yeah, ago years as like a ago. toy. Yeah, but I mean that was that was after kids that you got that. Yeah, but I but mean, the kids use it more than he does. Yeah. <laughs> it's true, kids do like loud things. I don't even care about anything anymore, though. <laughs> How do you not? I feel like my ex used to like pine over stuff. Like it'd be like, oh, there's a new electro. I don't even oh, know what the hell oh, that's, those things are that's, fucking called. That stuff goes away fast for me. Oh. Like there were there was a point where when I was because I like I, I really enjoy motorcycles. Like there's a point where I had like four motorcycles, and it was always just like constantly looking for another bike uh, to buy, another one. bike yeah. to buy, and like all that stuff just dropped away. Almost every night, at some point in the middle of the night, I'd wake up and he'd be on his phone, and I, it got to a point where I didn't have to ask, but I'm like, what are you doing? Looking at motorcycles. Yeah. He would just sit there all night looking at motorcycles. Yeah, that stuff dropped Guys away. do that. I I feel like girls just like buy it. If you want it, you just buy it. Guys like- But there are times now that like, I don't feel good unless I go and make a purchase on something. Like I feel the itch to like, go drop a lot of money and spend it on but something. But do you have to get like a good deal? Is that a thing Not with you? Not at all for me. Oh, see, I don't need a good deal. My I partner just, wanted to get a truck and it was like four- fucking months like maybe we're <laughs> gonna like fly up to like northern ontario there's a truck up there and we'll drive it back oh maybe we'll get like a trailer <laughs> to like pull this truck out of like the you east would coast do that shit. oh my god yeah i would completely sure. constantly sure. i was like can you just 
fucking buy a truck. Like I will pay <laughs> the difference of whatever it is you don't want to pay. I don't need a buy deal a truck. because I, I I purchase things very impulsively. So I don't I don't. Mm. Like, That's not always true though because you do like <laughs> well, looking I know on, what I, I know on what marketplace I, and Kijiji. But it's not about like let me find the best price for something. It's let me find what I want. So like for example, no, like, no, your was, car right now was bought on a fucking whim. Yes, right? that I was, was a pure I was impulse. in labor in the dealership. What? I went. I I originally went to go look at convertibles, two okay. seat convertibles, and then I ended up buying a fucking uh, a sport utility vehicle for, for me. You were pregnant <laughs> and you were looking at a convertible, right? Pregnant with the second <laughs> child too. That this that's, that's how it happened. He he oh. started reminiscing about his past life because when we met, he had a convertible. Okay, which we sold when our youngest was probably a year old because it didn't make sense. He wasn't driving. It, it, right? Honestly, it's not like we needed it or we didn't need it. It just sat there. So yeah. I was like, this is just stupid. It's Let me just, just it's get just rid of stupid it. because yeah. we have a one year old. Losing money on it not every driving day that it. it sits there. So he starts reminiscing about his old life, talking about the convertible. So then he starts going online and looking at convertibles, thinking maybe I'll buy a new one. So he goes to the dealership and suddenly at the dealership, he sets his eyes on this. Well, this originally smaller... when I went to the dealership too, I'm like, um, I'm going to go look at convertibles. And she's like, okay, she's pregnant. She's like, okay, good, good, get out of here. Go yeah, do whatever just you do want. whatever. Stop talking. <laughs> Stop talking to me. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> so we, and anyway, some, he ends up at the dealership and somehow through multiple circular conversations, it ended, because at the time we had, um, I had a Honda Civic that was also parked because because enormously pregnant and with uh, a toddler, it it didn't make sense for me. Yeah. Getting in and out of that car was killing me. Putting my daughter in and out of her car seat say, was the car killing seat me. So all of it was awful. So the Civic was parked and I was driving a an older truck. So we have this truck and he had a Mazda uh, 3. Yeah. So we've got three cars. One is parked. And the truck that I was driving was, I think at the time, 13 years old. Okay. Not that there was anything wrong with it, but it was an older vehicle. So somehow it went from, let's go look at convertibles to he comes back from the dealership and is talking to me about this sport utility vehicle and this minivan and this. And I was like, what? happening and then he has this idea we'll get you a more functional car for you and the kids we'll get rid of the civic we'll get rid of the mazda 3 i'll take the truck and i was like did you just grow up <laughs> yeah that's what happened and that's what happened so impulsively as i'm in labor we're in the in the mazda dealership and my water broke and we're signing papers and we're buying a car <laughs> that's amazing that's amazing so i have a really nice car now <laughs> nice yeah. nice i just got a nice car but then it's my first kind of tax season as an arm and my accountant's like, why did you finance? Why didn't you lease? And I was like, oh, well, fuck. Now I have a brand new car <laughs> that I fucking financed and it's probably going to be stuck with me for the next six to seven years. So that's kind of on my list of things to do. Mm. And now a part of me is like, maybe I'll get a really fancy car mm. or an SUV. <laughs> Although in lieu of the state of emergency, maybe I'm just going to stick with my finance right now. <laughs> yeah, I don't think anyone's making any decisions right no. now. Just everyone's in limbo. Like nobody knows what they're doing. Even um, I had said to one of my clients, again, another person who he had uh, he had a lobectomy. And so he's obviously got one side of his body that doesn't function the same as right. the other. And so again, not essential. He won't die without me, but he wants to still come and see me. Yeah. And so we were kind of messaging earlier and I just said, I wish I knew what to tell you. Um, let's reconvene in two weeks. Yeah. Like, I don't even know what to I'm say to you. I'm Skyping one of my clients. So in speaking about challenging clients, he's, he's awfully suicidal and oh. he's caring for a terminally ill wife. So they decided last week to stop having practitioners come into their home to self-isolate. She's very like 
immunocompromised. So they decided last week. So they were kind of ahead of the curve in terms of kind of stopping random people from coming in and out. Because between the two of them, they probably have at least 10 or 12 different practitioners coming in and out of the house every day. Um, So I'm actually just, just because I know how sensitive it is to kind of stop contact for someone like him who has people checking in on him regularly mm. i actually set up a skype call with them tomorrow so we're going to do some home care just talk about kind of how body's feeling mm. um i've got him a thumper i got the back buddy for him like a long time ago to kind of implement some home care practices um so i mean those are the things that i'm going to be offering right now obviously free of charge because i don't with your know resources <laughs> i don't know if the mba world's gonna let me <laughs> like charge yeah, for skype true. calls um but yeah like these are things that i'm offering just to keep myself busy and try to stay connected with the people that you know, I have these really great relationships, you know, therapeutic relationships with that I've built over the years. So um, it'll be interesting to see kind of how people act. Because mm. as of last night, some of my like 80 year olds were like, no, you're fucking coming. Like, I was like, OK, I'm coming, you know. And then this morning is like, you know what? I'm just I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing and yeah. I don't know what to think and I don't know where we're headed. But I think it's probably best that I just can give the week, you know, give it a week to kind of see where everyone sits because every minute's so different, you know, but I feel really good being here and taking my brain off of things for a little while. It's been nice. Well, it's been really interesting listening about the types of clients you work with. Like I, again, never would have even thought about it, but I mean, like I always said, people are people, right? Like as you said, they need access to treatment as well. And it's just amazing that there's somebody willing to to work with these types of populations. Well, in all fairness, I I think I'll probably get a little bit of hate mail too. I was a little bit anxious coming on about, I know a lot of people worry about kind of what's your scope of practice. Yeah, mental health is if not. You, if you get any blowback sco- Yeah, it's not our scope of practice. And I think a lot of this is semantics. Yeah. You know, people want to like be like, no, we don't treat depression. It's like, fuck you. I'm not treating depression. Exactly. I'm treating yeah. a person who has these symptoms and I'm, mindful of them i include i don't i don't think you're going outside of your scope yeah no i don't no but i don't but but there's a whole lot of people that that will and and even though i i do a lot of trauma work and i'm trauma informed and all of that kind of stuff you know i i really worry about how i present myself because i do i'm on these facebook if i can give any new rmt some advice (laughs) do not join the rmto facebook group (laughs) until you've been working in the field for a couple of years because you're gonna like question everything that you've ever learned in school (laughs) you're going to question everything that your mentors have shared with you because people are so all over the map as rmts um so i mean i like to think i have a pretty thick skin but i'm really sensitive to my peers and kind of how they perceive me so i've been really Mm. mindful about how i present myself as being someone that works with people who have mental health so again, I don't treat mental health. I right. work with people who have mental you know, health. And again, and I, you brought up the biopsychosocial model earlier. I think everyone, again, use your fucking judgment. Yeah. It's not that you're treating mental health. You're just being mindful of the yeah. fact that sometimes what people are presenting with has a lot to do with yeah. what's going on in their mind. But you're also asking a lot of people to use their own judgment. These are the same people that can't figure out if they're, am I going to close? Am I not going to close? What am I going to do here? CMTO, tell me what to do. There's obviously an issue with your ability to use your own judgment. 
judgment. I think that's Especially, human I think nature. The people that think the CMTO is going to like pay them for not working. I'm like, do you even know what the CMTO Ex- exactly. does? It's so like, uh, I just, anything they're going oh, to increase our fees. <laughs> so yes, I understand your apprehension 100. percent Yeah. So yeah, and that was a big fear about coming out here. I know I talked to my partner a lot about it a lot, just being like, you know, because he knows. Because at least once a week, I'm like, check what this happened on this Facebook group, <laughs> you know? And he's like, you guys are fucking me. And I was like, we're not though. I like it's insane. It's in- it's 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 really interesting to, to oh. watch. Like I can just sit there all day and read to some shit. The last twenty four hours, honestly, I can't like I can't even take my eyes off of it as much as I know it, yeah. it's really important to. I just I like I love <laughs> seeing how ignorant people are sometimes <laughs> because I just think like wow and then every once in a while someone chimes in with like a super voice of reason and it's it's nice to see but it's like like the (laughs) state of emergency do you like hey hey everyone let's fucking flood our mps mailboxes and voice messages to let them know how rmts are struggling and i'm thinking like you and the rest of the fucking planet right now fuck off sorry rmts i love you but there is a bigger crisis going on right now than who's going to pay you well, and tomorrow. that's the thing is we're all in the same boat like yeah. i said i've been talking to uh, my Cairo friend i was also talking to um, a friend of mine who's a naturopathic doctor and i yeah. said to her you know i'm trying my best to stay very positive and look at what i can do and what i can control and you know just try to carry on life as normally as possible because there's so many question marks and she just wrote we're all in the same boat yeah. and that was it you know like I we're know. all and we're so conflicted struggling. because like you said like we've been using high standards like we should be using high standards of practice like yep. i shouldn't be transmitting diseases when i come see you any other well, day of exactly. the week and i felt sick for everyone who was so defensive that they needed to post like a message about their cleaning routine like yeah. thank you for saying that I we talked about we purposely, that. I purposely I didn't. didn't either I wanted to I probably wrote out 20 different messages over the last 48 hours and didn't post one goddamn one of them because mm. I was like why should I feel like I need to tell you that I that I wipe my table that yeah. I use cl- like I do that every fucking <laughs> exactly, time exactly. so I just you know I f- and I feel sick for people that feel defensive that they have to share those types of things with their community that they feel like they have to you know like say like we're ramping things up and it's like okay but we'd expect you to don't but they I think they just felt that they had to follow suit and I I understand because we also decided not to do that because as I said when you came in here sort of half jokingly but seriously everything that everybody's posting about is what I've always done between each client I am and they've always done it too I am disinfecting everything I am washing my hands very thoroughly I am washing my sheets in hot water like all of these things I've already been doing And I take so many precautions already to make sure that I'm not passing anything on to people. I cancel my clients when I'm sick, regardless of what the illness yeah, but, is. You know, on the other side of that is you have your patients who don't know of all these things that you might do. Well, exactly. So and that's why I'm saying I understand the need because companies sure. like Sephora, Starbucks, uh, Old Navy, like all of these places are sending out messages to the general public of everything they're doing. <laughs> I honestly, I could like, I feel like at least a dozen emails I've gotten from companies it's like laughable like I got an email <laughs> from like a casino app that I play telling me how they're handling the COVID-19 and thinking like yeah. 
I'm just like collecting I points because s- I want to go to Vegas. <laughs> I saw and this you give in, me free stuff. I like, saw this in one of the massage groups when people were upset that the CMTO was didn't have much correspondence. Someone posted like, "Hey, if Swiss Chalet can email me <laughs> and tell me what's going on, why can't the CMTO?" It's so true. <laughs> it's so true. I just, but again, like it's like being in that like being an adult going back to massage therapy school with a bunch of kids coming out of school and like really like laughable listening to their questions and like professionalism and like ethics because because they just they don't know they've never experienced these things and it's and it's kind of like guys you have to use your judgment you have to use your best judgment like don't do anything that isn't say this is joking because my partner didn't know what like non-essential kind of meant so when i was like don't do non-essentials he's like don't do the don't do's and you know he's like that's a double negative i'm like no because you're not they're not going to come out and say like okay rmts do your essential services because everyone's gonna be like yeah it's a set like right like everyone's gonna argue either way but um anyways on my fridge right now it's don't do the don't do's <laughs> well the cmto wasn't gonna wasn't going to no win in any way no if one they wins. if they no said something they were it's gonna be picked apart if they don't say anything it's gonna be exactly. why aren't you saying anything they sent out this yeah. which basically was telling us to use our judgment that pissed people off so there's there's, there's no winning this misconception that if the CMTO said, stop treating, then we, we're we entitled to money. I don't know where this assumption yeah, is coming from right now, but it's really, I'm so glad you're laughing, Mark, because <laughs> I really struggled with like not wanting to talk about this, but um, people are just crazy right now. Yeah. Everyone's panicking. Everyone's that's, desperate. That's exactly Being a crisis well, worker, it. I understand that people are yeah. saying things that they Damn. really don't mean and everyone's just in a panic. But again, like, guys, Let's give it a couple days. Let's kind of go with the flow. We're all in the same boat. Yeah. And the government's going to do something. Quebec's already offering, like, taxes can be paid, like, at the end of July. BC is offering lots of relief or stuff. So, I mean, it's coming, guys. Like, please, please do not bombard your government with nonsense right now while they're really trying to manage a crisis. That's my advice. And what do I know? But <laughs> I really worry when I hear people that are harassing, you know, their their local politics politicians right now about um rmt issues <laughs> you know i feel I, like <laughs> and i don't i don't feel like other professions are going mental like this maybe i have to jump on like physiotherapy boards i know i am sure some of anything. them are it's just we're we're flooded with rmts and on that note i was gonna say you know we talked about how rmts are sort of being mean to each other right now yeah. i mean in in general it kind of happens yeah. um yeah it doesn't have anything to do with this sometimes. i know oh but God, we could talk about fashion everyone's like hating right? each other but for it's 48 so, hours it's so <laughs> funny though because since we've been doing the podcast and you know teaching the continuing education courses I feel like I meet so many fucking awesome therapists that I'm like you guys are so cool yet I get on Facebook and immediately I'm like I hate you all yeah. like what's happening but yet I meet people face to face I'm like you guys are awesome like yeah. I don't I don't know. It's the so, keyboard warrior, oh man. God. So because I was a social worker for Children's Aid, I never really did social media. Mm, I suck no. at it. I hate it. I remember when I finished school and was starting to kind of market myself and build a brand and try to figure out what I was going to do. I remember like it was like three weeks of me like poking my partner like, who the fuck posts about their fucking this and that? And he's like, oh, welcome to the last <laughs> 10 years of everyone's life. Like I just, I caught on so late. So um, I'm always just flabbergasted at people's ignorance. And yeah, 
So again, advice for new RMTs, do not join the RMTAO <laughs> Facebook group unless you have a really thick skin. You know what it's become though? Because you know oh, how you always say see... it because I do. I hate it. Like it makes me feel so awful about myself every day someone does. But it's it's people doing it intentionally. You know how you always see when, when there's a post that you know is going to be controversial, a controversial, mm -hmm. you know that sometimes it's fun just to go and read the comments. Oh, for sure. <laughs> because you know there are people who are just waiting for somebody to say mm -hmm. or do something dumb so they can jump on them. I don't know yeah. why this is an obsession with people, I, but yeah. it's like, I'm waiting for you They're to bylaw. I swear to God. So I came up with this other day. They're like the like RMT bylaw officers. Like they have no power, but they love to go around and <sighs> ticket people. And <laughs> Seriously, there, there's, there's a group in the States. It's I, I can't remember the name of the group. It's a business group. And uh, but the guy that runs it, he posted a meme with like the massage police and the, the guy in handcuffs is like, what did I do wrong? And he's like, you're using you're using techniques with without evidence. <laughs> it's <laughs> true got, though. Oh, but then I looked at the thread of comments, two hundred and something comments of people going back and forth about the evidence police. It's I'm so insane. glad I'm not a part of any other I don't know RMT groups. I think I'm maybe one of Southern Ontario and that never posts, or some other ones again that never post. I think there's a mobile massage therapist of Ontario. They never post, so I'm just kind of stuck reading this one Facebook group and right now it's a shit storm and well, I'm not in any of them oh you're um, so lucky because I mean Mark and I all of our business is together right yeah. like everything is together so I feel like one of us dealing with this constantly is enough yeah. and if there's something really interesting you know he'll show me like yeah. and every once in a while I'll say to him like what's going on in the massage world and he'll show me some stuff but I don't want to see it every day yeah. so I'm I'm not in any of the Mark groups. are you like addicted to that stuff? Am yes. I addicted to? I, you know a lot of it is for work though. Of course right? I, I mean don't get me wrong I, it's fucking entertaining But you probably follow threads that you know are getting ugly right? Oh yeah. You're checking that's, in on them that's, regularly That's that's a big part of the enjoyment for me yeah. but it's also like because we do the podcast Podcast. He wants to see what people are talking yeah, about. Exactly. So we get some, you know, sometimes I'll read something and it might give me an idea to mm -hmm. say, like, let's do something on this. Or, you know, because I use Facebook a lot for marketing yep. the courses, you know, I got to look around to see if anyone's saying, hey, is, do you anyone it. know about this course coming up? Or this and course? you are on top of it because I do. Yeah. I hate, I'll have to admit, I don't like listening to people talk. So I've never really been into podcasts, but I, I'm in my car for like sometimes four <laughs> or five hours a day. So I was like, I should probably listen to something that's educational and might kind of, you know, like that one year <laughs> burnout. And you chose period. us. Yeah. You know that like one year burnout period after, yeah, where, after massage school where you're like, just, I can't take in anything yeah, else. Yeah. I just want to yeah. work. I just want to do my job. And then, you know, as the year progresses and you're on these awful <laughs> websites that are telling you like, there's no such thing as fascia. Trigger points are Trigger real. Points I was like, what? My mind is blown. So, so then you start doing your, you start doing your research and you really want to help people and really yeah. understand injuries and stuff like that and, and recognize how humbling it is to be like, fuck, I'm so fucking stupid. Even mm. after all of that schooling and those like board exams, like I really don't know anything and in all fairness how can you like our brains take so many days to process information how do you are you processing anything when in school you're learning a thousand new things every single day well and again because research is always changing yes. and so this is what like i understand the evidence-based people getting on people about like oh there's no evidence but, but 
it's, you know, we're in the process of learning more things. Everyone's doing the best they can. And a lot of times it does come down to semantics. The way my treatment looks and the way somebody else's treatment looks might be identical. It's just the, you know, the language we're using. So, you know, as long as RMTs are smart enough and use enough professional judgment to not make outlandish claims that, you know, you can't support you. I, I feel like we don't have to be so crazy and on top of each other because a lot of what we're doing, even if there's not necessarily evidence behind it, it's helping people. And I say this so much as I'm like a broken record. I don't care if, you know, the home care I gave my client was go outside, run around that puddle three times, jump in it and yell hallelujah. And they tell me whatever exercise you gave me worked. I don't care what it is if it's helping people. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you know, and there's, if it feels good, do it. If it feels good, do it. So I look at, yeah, I look at RMTs and I think like we have this like big spectrum of like all these different things that we can treat with it. Like if you want to pull yourself into being like remedial exercise, and strengthening and mobility, that's incredible. And it's you so incredible that. Yeah. that we can do that in our scope of practice. But there's also this big piece of like relaxation or maybe a combination of mm-hmm. both or a combination of Reiki and all these outside things that have been used in the world forever. You so I just, I know, sorry. Um, <laughs> I love Reiki. Anyways, I just think there's so many things that we can do that are within our scope of practice that are complementary modalities. Why wouldn't we love and embrace how different and unique we all treat? Well, that's the thing is I love that about the profession. And I mean, to bring... Maybe more people do than not. Maybe it's just... I think people are more scared to I think say more anything. people do than not. It, I think it is a small group of people that are actually the RMT police. I'm sorry. Like, th- and they're, they're the loudest. They are, and they're they the loudest. And they want to make sure that we all know that what we learned in school isn't necessarily correct. And I think majority of us do know that what we learned in school was so basic. Like, you know, that's why we're constantly learning and constantly taking more courses and keeping ourselves well informed. But it doesn't mean that what I learned in school isn't useful. And that's the part that kind of annoys me sometimes. I don't feel like everything I learned in school was useless. Absolutely not. But anyway, I I think that we can talk about Brian Fulton for a second. You know, we did the whole episode about the placebo effect. And what I loved about that is, I mean, he is very evidence-based. Everything that he writes about, I, I actually am Facebook friends with him. I know I always say I don't add RMTs to Facebook. I don't. Any of you who have a pending friend request to me, I'm sorry. It's nothing personal. I just don't. I, I post a lot of personal stuff about my fa- like my Facebook is personal. It. It's not professional. I get it. And so I don't add people. Yeah. Um, yeah, I did add Brian. I don't know. I, I liked the guy. I felt like you know if we I hung if, his if we lived in the same city, I felt like we'd be buddies. Like yeah. whatever. But. I what I loved about my conversation with him was that we know this is there's evidence behind the fact that the placebo effect is so real and so effective. And so when you have a client who's saying, I feel like I just want you to stick your elbow into yeah. my rhomboid, they won't say rhomboid, but you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. I want you to stick your elbow right we, here beside my shoulder blade. All of us are visualizing blade. the exact same spot that every person <laughs> right? asks you to nail so your elbow So when somebody into. is telling you that they want that, even if you as the therapist know that that's not the concern, yet you'll, you can explain that to them, you can explain yeah. what they need, and you can do everything you need to do. But at some point, just 
just fucking stick your elbow in the yeah. rhomboid and they, I guarantee you, will say thank you. So I have a whole theory too on self-injuring behaviors. I feel like there's some people who really love that deep, deep tissue massage because they're really trying to escape and it's probably a part of their self-injuring behavior mm. at some piece. So I'm try- I'm super mindful about like making sure this isn't someone that's trying to get out of their head for an hour mm-hmm. and they want you to physically hurt them. Well, yeah, no, I'm not saying but, go deep the whole but way, I, but I get yeah. That. There's some people where, you know, I'm like, oh, I did all this research on frozen shoulder. I'm going to do all these crazy techniques. Yep. And next week they're like, can you just do some goddamn GSM on my shoulder? It feels right. so much better. Right. You and know? there's times where even me, I, that's what I want. Like, I will say to whomever is treating me, like, can we do like a moderate pressure relaxation yeah. treatment today? And that's all I want. Yeah. And there's sometimes where I go in and I'm like, okay, I have issues here, 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 here. Like, you know, yeah. I want more of a treatment. And it's whatever the client needs that yeah. day, I'm okay with doing. And I will, of course, incorporate my knowledge, my best clinical judgment, and my own critical thinking. Right. But I'm also listening to the person because mm-hmm. as you said, we're treating a person. It isn't just a body as much as sometimes you have to focus on the body because it's, yeah. but it's a person. It is. And I'll be honest, when I get massaged 90% of the time, I just want a relaxation massage right. too. And it's, you might yeah. know that there's, there's little therapeutic benefit in terms of what's actually physiologically happening with you, but psychologically. And I mean, if we're affecting you psychologically, well, full circle here, then we're affecting you physiologically. It's so all let's, connected. Let's, let's be fucking real. relax yeah. with yelling at each other yeah. and know that we're all doing something good in the world yeah. and we're helping people in whatever way we need to help people. Yes. Amen. Enough ranting Amen. from me. Amen. <laughs> it's like we try so hard not to talk about like the tough stuff, but just it's hard can't. not to right now. But yeah, I just... I, I hope everyone just really loves each other and respects each other's decisions right now mm-hmm. because it's not easy and uh, we can't assume that we're making the right decisions either and that people need to follow what we're doing. So um, I think everyone's just using their best judgment and we need to respect that and be respectful of each other. And I, I hope I see that over the next coming days. But like Mark, I'm going to be glued to those Facebook groups and just, you know... Using that as a bit of... Do you have popcorn to eat them? Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) I always picture that with Michael Jackson eating the popcorn. (laughs) Oh, I've never seen that. Okay, I will send it to you. Okay, please. It's the best one because every time there's like a fight going on Facebook... Oh, I know which one. Is it the one from the... From Thriller. Yeah, the creepy video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, so I just picture him in his his red jacket with the popcorn. I'm like, yeah. That's exactly what oh, I'm here yeah. for. Oh, Facebook, you give me so much joy. I know, so they give joy. you so much content. I think I wanted to say before that you're pretty good at having kind of a podcast that kind of addresses something bigger that kind of comes up in the group. So I always I, appreciate you know what I, you know what I really, I really like when we're ahead of the game mm-hmm. and we've done something and then it comes out in a group. Mm-hmm. I'm like, ah, uh, yes. One step yeah. ahead. On the flip side, he gets super fucking critical of himself when an issue arises that he had maybe thought of a week ago, and then the issue arises in a group, and we haven't recorded something yet. He starts oh. beating himself up. Yeah, because that that was just me being lazy and not getting on it fast enough. Probably you're allowed. Sometimes you're allowed. Other people, other than his wife, need to tell him that because when I tell him that, it's it means nothing. <laughs> I feel like it's my job now. We're so. our worst crit- like our worst critics, right? Or we're the hardest on ourselves. Sure. Yeah. yeah. This has been fun. This has Super been. fun. Thank you. For yeah. Coming thank and you out with for us. letting me come. Uh, kind of unexpected today. Right on. You guys have been listening to two massage therapists in a microphone. Peace.